Hello and welcome to Fill Me Up. I'm Steve Walker and this is the show to help fuel your discussions about films. Uh, so this week, um, the uh, on Netflix, uh, a series called Snowpiercer has just come out. This is in the UK, I don't know whether it's already out elsewhere or on different platforms or on networks or whatever. But it's out uh, on Netflix this week in the UK. Um, I haven't seen in I haven't seen it. Um, I also haven't seen the film uh, that it was that I was going to say that it was based on, but I don't know whether I think it was a comic book first. Um, but my my question and my uh, thinking is, if it's already been made a film, why does it need a TV series? I mean, I know that some films work better as probably a longer form story, and that like the two hours or ish that you get from a film probably isn't enough but if it's already been made into a film then maybe that's like the shot for that thing because there's loads of scripts and ideas out there so why not just use one of them um i mean i'm not saying that i don't like television adaptations like i loved uh 12 monkeys the tv show wolf creek is is good fargo i haven't watched it but it looks very good it's on my list i'll probably watch snowpiercer at some point the sarah connor chronicles the terminator one that's supposed to be pretty good and there's like uh there isn't there supposed to be an upcoming john wick series and like that's that sounds amazing so but i mean like so i'm not saying that they're not good i'm saying that they can be and they are good um and I mean, like, that, it's understandable to make them if they were originally a success, success, success as a film. Because you don't need the same kind of big names from that you'd need in a film or, like, the bigger budgets. Like, I mean, Game of Thrones has got, like, had, like, a stupid budget. Even that was, like, I know it wasn't original, original, because it was based on a book, but it was original live-action concept. Like, it hadn't been made as a film first. Um, but like, I mean, like, even if you have something that has been made as a film, it's a familiar name, I guess. So like, it, it's a draw. Well, I mean, it works for me. Like if I've heard of something being good and then they go, oh yeah, there's made a TV show of it. Then I go, yeah, okay. Like Fargo, I, this is probably controversial, but I don't really like any Coen Brothers film. I've seen about four of them and I've hated every one of them. So I'm not seeing, so seeing Fargo, but I will see the TV show because it's based because it's based on it and it's the I think the premise sounds interesting but I just don't like the way that the Coen Brothers make films so um uh yeah I think it it I don't know what I'm saying that could be good anyway uh but I mean it's not one of those things is going to slow down like they it seems to be speeding up if anything they seem to be making more and more of these sort of like tv series based on films um and i mean it's not a bad idea because like kind of business-wise because you can kind of take like a middling film that kind of did okay and kind of maybe got good reviews and then you could like make a great tv show out of it um so i mean it's sort of back to that sort of age-old debate of original versus franchise kind of normally we're talking about it in terms of like making films like original films versus kind of franchise films but i mean it's it does also apply for tv as well i guess i mean like i guess the the argument for any of those is kind of as long as there's a balance it's fine i guess i mean i'd say that tv's it's kind of different to film because film you get it's less i was gonna say it's less accessible because people because you have to pay more to get into it um and you have to kind of take the time to go out the house and stuff, and it's so it's a it's kind of less accessible, and there's like certain showings and things, so people are more likely to go and see stuff that they know that's familiar to them, um, that they know that they're probably gonna like. Whereas TV, you've got you're more likely to take a gamble, um, especially with kind of streaming services and like you're not having to pay for an individual TV show. It's just like you can try and watch a couple of episodes and see what you think. But if you see a film, you're paying for a film and then if it's no good, then you've you've almost wasted your money. But if you do that with a TV show, you haven't, all you've wasted is your time. And so you've arguably not lost anything. Um, so with TV, I think people are more likely to watch original TV shows. And I feel like you... It, you see 
more original TV shows than films, certainly, but just I'd say more than more TV, original TV shows than just kind of adaptations of stuff. Um, so, I mean, the adaptations of films for TV shows are still sort of the exception to the rule. Um, and so, like, franchise stuff still sort of the exception, but um, it does happen. And um, I mean, it's understandable why, but I. I don't know. I just, I feel like, just watch the film. Um, but this has sort of just been a bit of a, a rant and a ramble. I've sort of almost convinced myself that the this is why it should be, rather than I started off going why why have they made it and then I've gone oh yeah that's why they've made it. So, um, whichever way you kind of see it, um, I I can I. Like I say, I've watched uh, TV shows based on films in the past. Um, so, um, especially when they, especially if it's an old film, because then they, they kind of update it. Um, and so you get it. Like, if I was, like, I don't know, I've not watched 12 Monkeys, the film, but I watched the series. And, like, I, I was more drawn into watching that. So, and a lot of the times, these things are both adapted from, like, the same source material. So, they're not this, that similar anyway so it's almost beneficial to have not seen the film but I think it's it's an interesting sort of phenomenon that sort of happened and kind of has risen up over the last few years and but and I think it's got its place but I mean I don't want that becoming I think the worry is that it will become like films where it's that's all you're getting and you're not getting this original stuff but I think TV is quite good for not doing that um, because of that accessibility factor and uh, in terms of kind of money and time and things. So, yeah, uh, I, it's, I was worried, but I'm no longer worried, having thought about it for a bit. Let's move on to the first section, that is Alpha Set. Uh, for those that don't know, this is where I take three films that I have not seen and they all begin with a letter of the alphabet. This week, that letter is D. Um, I did put it up on Twitter. What I was going, what I was, uh, what I was watching this week. So if you were able to watch along, then great. If not, don't worry. There's no spoilers. Um, I do have. I have had a back uh, issue this week. So if I make some noises or like squeals of pain, that'd be why. Um, I, I actually posted up the uh, thing about on Twitter a bit late because of that, but we're getting there. We're getting there. I still managed to watch my films and do this, so it's all good. Uh, the first film that we watched uh, is Don John. Um, so this is basically about a playboy that is dedicated to his family, friends, church, uh, but then he tries to have a genuine relationship with the girl of his dreams. Um, came out in 2013. It had a very small budget of three million dollars. It made thirty-nine million dollars, so it made some money. It made uh, it made a fair bit of money. Um, so normally the rule for budgets and kind of making money, uh, in this case, it's quite clear that it made money. But generally, uh, the budget, whatever the budget is, you times that by two to get your marketing budget as well. Um, in this case, I reckon that the marketing budget was maybe a bit more than three million, but who knows. Um, Either way, it made money, uh, and we, and uh, that's pretty good, especially for a first-time director, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, people thought it was pretty good. It got a 6.5 on IMDb. Critics also thought it was pretty good. It got a 79% on Rotten Tomatoes. I also thought it was pretty good. I give it an 8 out of 10. Uh, and I've, basically, I've just written some good stuff here. Um, so, first off, um, so it's about a playboy and he basically is addicted to porn. So it's mainly about porn. It's not a porn film though, but it is a porn film because it's sort of about porn, but it's not a porn film. It's, it's not porn, uh, but it is sort of about porn, but there's more to it than that. It's not just about that. Um, it's got heart. It's got a great character arc. Um, you kind of see the influences around him, like his friends and his family and just life in general. Um, there's a montage at the start to show you how much kind of sex is around us. 
uh, in life in kind of music videos and adverts and films and television and just around and about. Um, there are spliced in uh, a number of porn montage scenes, but I think that they're used to good effect. They are they're quite short bursts. They're not too long. And they're kind of like flash up and like it's to highlight his urge and the release of, well, you know, um, and the, the sex scene, the actual sex scenes in the film are shot very differently, uh, to highlight the difference between kind of the make believe sort of porn world and the real life how sex is normally. Uh, this is a Joseph Gordon Levitt project. Uh, he wrote it, he directed it, he starred in it, it's all him. Uh, and like I say, it was the first. it's his first time writing and directing. He'd done a couple of short films with his company Hit Record, uh, which also produced this. Um, but this is his first sort of feature-length film. He'd done it, but I think he's done a great job all around. He'd, he'd kind of, I saw in an interview once that he, he said that he waited uh, for a bit to make the film because... Um, he waited till he'd kind of been in Hollywood and built himself up a little bit and kind of got a bit of clout before trying to go ahead and get it made. But I think he's really smart. Um, like he's got some big actors in this, um, and it, it looks great. Um, personally, this film I think should be shown to teenagers because it shows someone. Uh, it shows what someone who views life as a porn video, kind of what life's like for them, and it's kind of. The film is all about expectations and kind of, it's not, I mean, it's not just about porn, it's also about rom-coms. Um, and Scarlett Johansson's in this film, she plays his uh, love interest and she's kind of obsessed with rom-coms in the segment that he's obsessed with porn. And you could almost have like a parallel film with just her and rom-coms. Um, but we didn't get that, it's, it's about him. And uh, the, but I think, their relationship is a very good example of a bad relationship because it's kind of her getting all her expectations from films and kind of her wanting to be him to be her man and do everything that she wants and kind of be on weight on her hand and foot but not uh but do all the manly things and don't do anything else uh and he just gets his expectations and stuff from like porn so he just wants people to he just wants to have sex basically um, and it's kind of a, these clash of ideas and in expectations and kind of how all of media sort of influences them. There's a great scene in a shop where they're talking about cleaning supplies. It's not, trust me, it's better than I just described. Um, there's also uh, a family dynamic with uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, JGL's character, Um his mum and dad sort of are a good sort of example of where a sort of, not necessarily a bad relationship, but sort of expectations uh, can lead a relationship. I think he, his dad's expectations kind of won out in the end. He's, he doesn't seem like he's changed much. He seems very much the same as JGL's character. and But his mum kind of is a bit more kind of like amenable and has compromised a bit more. Um, his sister, who's played by Captain Marvel... Brie Larson, uh, back in back in the day, um, she doesn't really engage in any of the conversations. She's just for the majority of the film. Whenever she's in a scene, she's on a phone. Um, but she on and she only kind of actually interacts with people once, and she has one line in the film. But it's probably the best line of the film. Um, it shows the the closeness of her of her and the family, and kind of. The understanding that she has of her brother and her the situation is just a great, great scene. Um, there are some fun little cameos in this film. Um, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt are on some fake film posters, which isn't fun. I I was watching it and went, "Oh, that's that's uh, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt," uh, and also Anne Hathaway and Channing Tatum are in a fake rom com, which is fun. Uh, Apparently, some of the uh, apparently uh, this is an interesting fact. When it was first aired at kind of one of these festivals, I can't remember which one it was, but one of the festivals, uh, some of the porn scenes were actually more graphic um, than what is seen in the final cut. Um, they were taken out to reduce the rating down from what would be in America an NC seventeen to an R. 
I don't know what that would be anywhere else. It's still an 18 in the UK, so wouldn't have changed a bit, but um, I think it was changed because it, or it was said to be changed because it doesn't need to be too graphic. It's not there because because that's it's not what the film's about really so it doesn't really matter how graphic it is it's just kind of there to highlight certain aspects and you don't need it to go into too much detail um or into someone else's tale hey um scarlett johansson's facebook profile is seen in the film uh obviously it's the character it's the character's facebook profile but uh fun fact it's actually her Scarlett Johansson's profile, they just changed everyone's names. Uh, so, I mean, you don't really see anything of it, but the people that pop up on are people that pop up on her actual profile. Uh, there's some celebrities there that have just changed the names. I didn't actually... I should have looked at it. should have gone back and found it and gone, oh, yeah, they've, they've changed these people. Probably all the Avengers cast. Just any of them. Chris Evans is now someone else. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., someone else. Jeremy Renner, someone else. Um, probably just use their actual Avengers names. Uh, also, uh, for this film, Joseph Gordon-Levitt had to bulk up for the role um, because he was playing this kind of guy that's obsessed with going to the gym and looks and things like that. And he apparently hated it. There was loads of time in the gym working out, but um, he hated it. it doesn't he's not he's not a generally a big guy. Um, I'd seen another interview with him around the same time that he had also done a film called Premium Rush where he plays as bike messenger in New York, which is quite good. Um, but he much preferred the prep for that because it was just loads of cycling, which it was more up his alley. Um, but to sum it up, I'd say it was, it, this is a very good film. It's definitely worth watching. Don't watch it with your parents. Uh, my parents were milling about when I was watching it and I was cringing into my seat i couldn't shrink into my seat because my back was hurting but it was awkward um but i definitely say it's worth a watch and especially if you're a younger adult like if you're kind of i don't know not settled down yet if you're still sort of single life and like just to to mellow out some expectations and bring you down to earth it's very good um so next film uh, is Doomsday, um, Scotland, you know that country, the uh, the one above England. Uh, I don't know why I'm I'm talking about it like that. It's got everyone knows Scotland. Scotland is closed off after a virus uh, breaks out in there and left to rot. Uh, Twenty years later, a team is then sent back in to capture a cure when the virus returns. I was trying to avoid virus films uh, for obvious reasons. Um, didn't actually know this was a virus film, so but it doesn't kind of come into play that much. It's 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 more the setting for it rather than like a film about a virus. Um, it came out in two thousand eight. Uh, it had a budget of thirty million dollars. Uh, it didn't do too well though. It only made twenty two million, so it lost a fair bit of money. Uh, it's got okay reviews it's got a 6.0 on imdb 51 percent on rotten tomatoes and i give it a 6 out of 10 it's all right uh it's a little all over the place but it was kind of enjoyable um so last week if you weren't listening last week i did set c and in that uh set i did constantine uh which i said was very 2000s this is also very 2000s has electronic and rock music um it's kind of the British version of what was happening in the 2000s. Um, it's kind of quite dark, for, kind of lighting-wise, and it seems quite low budget. Kind of, It has almost that like 28 days later sort of feel to it. Um, but, like I said, the budget was $30 million, which is kind of more than I expected it to be. Um, I actually did cover 28 day- days later and 28 weeks later sometime last year. Um, I can't remember what the budget for that was, but I've got to say I feel it's more, it's less than thirty million dollars. Um, also surprising about it, the fact is that also the budget is surprising because it has no big names in it. Um, the biggest, the main star of this is Rona Mitra, who you may 
no, probably not no, but you may know her as being Kate Beckinsale's Underworld Understudy in 3. She was in 3 because Kate Beckinsale wasn't in 3, it was a prequel or something. She sort of looks like Kate Beckinsale and played a vampire in that. Uh, so, for all intents and purposes, she was the Kate Beckinsale character. Um, also, Bob Hoskins is in this. Uh, I mean, I don't see, I, you don't see Bob Hoskins. Well, obviously he's dead now, but you, at the time you didn't see Bob Hoskins in a lot. And he was great. Uh, I remember him in Hook. Obviously he was Super Mario. but uh, And uh, in a lot of other good stuff, I don't know. Who uh, framed Roger Rabbit? So, um, yeah. Uh, it was just nice to see Bob Hoskins uh, in something like this. Um, I was kind of surprised about the intro because normally with these sort of films, like uh, what else came around them about that time, like Doom and things like that, they have like a an opening crawl of like what's happened, uh, and they do that thing of uh, just telling you what's happened rather than showing you what's happened. But this film actually showed you what happened, which was surprisingly refreshing because uh, one of the number one rules of film uh, is show don't tell um, and not many films kind of abide by that but this one did and it it, it was nice to see um, though it did have a few problems I mean I said it was a bit all over the place it does take itself quite seriously it's kind of doesn't know but then uh, but then it, at the same time it has lots of weirdness and kind of almost comical violence it doesn't really know whether it wants to be a 28 days later or it wants to be a Mad Max or what like, I enjoyed the contrast of kind of the real world. I mean, this is the future world, but like the the city world. Uh, and then kind of the Mad Maxine gangs and kind of the medieval-esque clans that kind of pop up in, in the remnants of Scotland. Um, though I feel like some of it didn't quite mesh. It's, it didn't do a great kind of job at kind of matching the tone and making it all seem like a believable world. Like, it all seemed very disparate and kind of it's separated um there's also some kind of weird plot points there's some armored personnel vehicle carriers apcs that are uh they kind of have a bit at the start kind of whether you you meet the team and they've got their equipment and they each have their skills and stuff and there's some two big apc tank things and they they look good but then they get destroyed quite quickly i thought that was going to be a budget thing but i'll uh I'll talk to, but I'll mention that again later on. Um, there are politicians that are in the the, the fake future city bit, um, and they're not really fleshed out. There is some kind of twists from them, and kind of, but there isn't enough. You you don't delve into their characters enough for anything to kind of mean anything. Um, and then obviously you've got your you always have like your team at the start like that's getting sent back in and some of the characters are just there for fodder which is fine but if it's going to be one of those films just embrace that you're going to be one of those films and like don't take yourself so seriously um it is kind of entertaining though i mean the action scenes are pretty good and the fight choreography i thought was pretty good um it doesn't shy away from gore there's beheadings in this um they easily could have not done that. They easily could have like cut away and things to try and get a lower rating. Maybe would have got more money if they'd done that. Um, but I, I think the parts that I enjoyed the most of this film are when they were just having fun with it, and when they went a bit over the top with the gore and they kind of just embraced the stupidness of this film because it is a stupid film. But um, yeah, I mean the director Neil Marshall, he actually. Uh, made dog soldiers which is about werewolves in scotland and there's like an art like a military team sent that i think they're doing like a training exercise or something and then there's werewolves involved and that i felt was better at just embracing the ridiculousness of it but also kind of had that few elements of horror in it that worked well as well so i think that that is a sort of a better example of what the film should have been um but uh, coming back to some fun facts, the uh, APCs that I mentioned earlier, they were apparently built from scratch. So they were tempted to buy some decommissioned ones, but apparently it was cheaper to buy them from to make them from scratch, which then makes it more 
weird that they weren't in the film more because they're supposed to be like these indestructible things and they have like they big them up and then they're like just some random bloke will just smash through the glass and it's like isn't this supposed to be like bulletproof like what's going on like it's just like you've just got a guy with a bat has managed to get through it like it's crazy and like it it's set on fire and then it's like how is that a thing that's how is that a problem i don't they i don't know I felt like they should have been in the film more and they should have been uh, easier. They should have been more hard. If you didn't want them, just have some... You either could have saved on the budget by having something like a 4x4 Land Rover thing that would be easier to destroy. Or you have them in the film more. Like, if you're going to go to this trouble of making them from scratch, why not use them more? Uh, but anyway... Um, the film uh, was also set majority. The majority. What's what's the word for that? Majoritatively, is that a word? I don't know. Mainly, it was set mainly in London and Glasgow, um, but which I think would be quite, like sort of easier and cheaper to film in. But they actually filmed it in South Africa for some reason. Uh, there was some large. Well, no, I know for some reason because you wanted wasteland and you're not going to get wasteland necessarily in Scotland, um, but. Uh, there was also some large crowd shots um, in this film, kind of more in London, um, which they used, uh, again, they used South Africa and they used mainly locals for that, um, which I thought was interesting that they that they just went all the way to South Africa to film it instead of filming it where you were setting it. I don't know. Strange. Um, also, uh, there is a Bentley car used in a car chase in this film, but... I didn't know this, uh, but Bentley don't pay for product placement. So, like, if you'd have got, like, an Audi or something, then they would have paid to have it in there. But Bentley don't pay for it. So, the production staff... I don't know why they carried on using a Bentley then, but uh, the production staff then had to buy three Bentleys for shooting. Um, The first one, uh, apparently, was driven into a gorge, uh, which is no good. Uh, The second was then used for the most of the shots, um... And apparently was still in good nick afterwards. Apparently it only needed a facelift. So, um, And then the third one, I guess, was just used for the rest of the shots. But I think that everyone was kind of pretty amazed at how sturdy these things were. Because apparently they put it through its paces and like nothing was particularly damaged. Which, Well, I guess the first one probably was if it's driven into a gorge. But, you know, uh, I just thought it was weird that they they made some interesting decisions on this film. Um, and I don't think it paid off. I mean, it... To sum it up, it's a pretty good film, but it is kind of pretty standard. Uh, it's not a terrible... Again, like, it's not a terrible film. Uh, it's got a few issues with it, but it's... Again, it, like, those... There's nothing outstanding in it to make it seem kind of like a cult film or anything. It's no, there's no surprise that it's a film that most people haven't heard of. Uh, but anyway, uh, the third film that we're moving on to this week is probably the biggest film, uh, kind of fame-wise, uh, of the three films. It's Downsizing. Uh, so this is the film where, to save on space, cost, and resources, uh, people are shrinking down to just a few inches tall, uh, and they're living in a wondrous world of, of wealth. Um, but is it really all that wondrous? Um, it came out in 2017, which I, I kind of thought it would... It, I don't know. I thought it was later than that. But it was out in 2017. It had a budget of $68 million. It made $55 million. So it lost a fair bit of money. Because uh, it would have needed to have made, what? Like $140 million to have break, broken even. So it's lost like nearly $100, $100 million. Which is not, not good. Um, it's got a 5.7 on IMDb. Um, is that the lowest rated uh, film I've done? I don't know. Uh, and it got a 47 on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, I personally give it a 6 out of 10. Um, it has got a very good concept, but it did go in a weird direction with it. Uh, and most of the reviews that I saw were of a civil, similar opinion to me. It starts off very strong. Um, that It it was very funny, very interesting. Um, and then later on, the whole downsizing kind of thing just... It, does it, it's like not even in the film. It's like they've written, it's like a diff, taken from a different film almost, and they barely bring up the like downsizing aspect again. Um, 
they kind of it kind of goes from this fun science fiction social satire to an existential drama with kind of heavy-handed environmental issues thrown in um matt damon is the lead in it he's great in it uh like all like throughout the film uh kristen wig and jason sudeikis are also advertised as being in it they're in it for like a few minutes each they're barely in it um but someone that is in it that makes this film uh what it is is hong chow and she plays a vietnamese lady and she's great uh she's kind of comes through uh later on in the film but she kind of provides heart and comedy and makes the less interesting bit of the film more interesting um but like i say it's just a strange film and like i think a lot of the reviews are the way that they are because of the marketing and probably the execution i mean you because you got enough to kind of explore with in that downsizing concept uh to make just an interesting film about that uh and the marketing basically sold it as it's a film about downsizing but then they've like i don't know whether they've shoehorned in it's not necessarily shoehorned in like there's no but there's just no need for everything else i mean it like i say it's not shoehorned in it all does sort of work and kind of the problem that i have with doomsday is that it wasn't believable as a world but all the things that happen and everything it it is believable as a story and as a world but it does cover a lot of ground and there is a there's multiple time jumps um in it and i don't think it pays off really i think that they maybe should have again it's and it's i don't know it's almost like it's one of those either or situations like you've tried to do too much you should have even made a social satire or you should have made a serious uh, film where you're talking about environmental issues like i don't know like I don't know. I I just thought the uh, the premise and the concept of downsizing was so original and unique, and like just that in itself was a fun, interesting topic to talk about and to explore. Um, but yeah, there was there's some nice looking shots in this film. Like there's one in particular that I remember when they're when Matt Damon and Kristen Wiig, who play husband and wife, they're going separate ways to um, get downsized. Um, they they're walking down corridors and you kind of see them looking back at each other and uh the corridor is quite long so you see them kind of getting smaller and smaller as you go through and the camera's staying still and it's it's a nice like shot and it's very kind of apt and because obviously they're getting smaller and smaller which is nice um but yeah i mean like apparently so but yeah like i say it's, it's just i feel like it it just fell down on the execution this film like it was it had a very good premise and a very interesting concept and uh i mean it's like environmental issues and stuff were very are very i don't disagree with the things that have been said in it but i don't think that that was the right time to do it maybe or they did it quite heavy-handedly you could maybe like they did have some environmental stuff in there because of the downsizing anyway in the first place so it's not kind of like it's come out of the blue but I think it's just, yeah, a bit heavy-handed and not needed. Um, but some fun facts for this film. Uh, apparently, uh, the pre-production on this film started in 2009, so they'd already been working on it for like, quite a while, and they were almost kind of ramped up and ready to go uh, in 2009. But then, then the director, Alexander Payne, uh, decided to focus on two other films first. So he worked on The Descendants and Nebraska. I've, both, I've heard of both those films. I haven't seen either of those, but uh yeah although it was interesting it then took obviously quite a while to come out um they filmed a bunch of stuff in norway um and while they were filming in norway um they hired out a floating hotel which i is apparently also known as a floatel which i like um let's go to the floatel um that was hired out for the whole casting crew uh which i think is a really cool thing um and uh, there was a scene from the trailer that was taken out, um, there's a, which I thought was quite a good scene. Um, there was uh, it's just basically a bunch of people uh, who have been downsized that are nice and small that they were uh, just filling buckets with uh, vodka from a just a normal sized bottle, and I just thought that was a like why not put that in? But uh, they decided not to. They just seek it out for some reason. Uh, but who knows? Um, but like I say, this film is good. 
Um, it's worth a watch, I think, just for like if you if you want to watch it for like the social satire and stuff, you could probably turn it off after about forty five minutes. But um, after that, it it is fine and it is kind of interesting, but it's obviously kind of not as great, I don't think. Um, but it's still it's still entertaining. It still has like fun moments in it, so I think it's still worth a watch. Moving on, we're talking about a film that wasn't. This is the section of the show where I talk about a film that didn't get made, basically, uh, for one reason or another. Uh, usually money. It's it's generally money. Because money makes the world go round, but it's usually money. Um, but this week, we're talking about Poe. Poe, if you're not sure what Poe is, it's not, I'm not talking about the, a, uh, a film about a spin-off of Kung Fu Panda. I'm t- or a spin-off of the Teletubbies. I'm talking about Edgar Allan Poe. Um, it was it was supposedly going to be a biopic based on the life of Edgar Allan Poe, who uh, is known for his gothic horror literature, um, uh, such as The Pit and the Pendulum, uh, amongst others. I don't really know much about him, to be honest. He's an American author. I don't really know about poets that much in general, if I'm honest. Um but you'll never guess who is going to be involved in this and who wants to get this made. It's bloody Sylvester Stallone. That's right, Rocky Rambo, the guy who makes the Expendables and barely you, you can barely understand what he's saying. He wants to be uh, he wants to make a film about Edgar Allan Poe. That's crazy. Uh, he's wanted to get it made since well, he's wanted to get it made for ages, but he's tried to get it off the ground since two thousand and five. Um, he originally wanted to star and direct. Uh, apparently, he became interested in uh, in Edgar Allan Poe when he was an aspiring actor in the early 70s in New York City. Uh, he was apparently working on this script for years while he's been in Hollywood, kind of since he got interested in it and kind of in, since the 70s. And apparently, it's his first ever screenplay. Um, and this is a quote of what he said. I'm not going to try and do a voice. Uh, what fascinates me about Poe is that he was such an iconoclast. It's a story for every young man or woman who sees themselves as a bit outside the box or has been ostracised during their life as an oddball or too eccentric. It didn't work for him either. His work was too hip for the room, but he developed a modern mystery story. He was also one of the great cryptologists. There were very few codes he couldn't crack. He was just an extraordinary guy. I kind of like the idea of Sylvester Stallone saying that Edgar Allan Poe was too hip for the room. That's he must have said that in like the nineties, surely. He's too hip for the room. Uh, but yeah, apparent. But this is Sylvester Stallone, and you know him for his action films. So he found it very hard to get it produced. He said that I keep telling my producer Avi Lerner. Make Edgar Allan Poe. But he says, does he have a gun? And I said, no, he doesn't have a gun. So he was like, can I? Can he have a knife? And I said, no, he writes poetry. Uh, this is, that's the Northern northern England uh, Sylvester Stallone. Um, so he obviously found it hard to get it made because he's renowned for kind of action films, but he's still passionate about it. Um but it's been a while and he struggled to get it made and so he thought maybe he wasn't right for the role or maybe that's kind of what's holding the film back. And anyway, he's sort of aging out of the role because uh, Edgar Allan Poe actually died at 39. Um, there is a picture of uh, Sylvester Stallone, uh, funnily enough, in kind of dressed as Edgar Allan Poe on Instagram that he posted in 2017. So if you, if you Google that, uh, then you can find that. I might try and tweet it out. Um, but that's a fun thing. It's kind of black and white. It looks good. Uh, but so he kind of during his work on the script that I mean he still hasn't got a finished script at the, this point. So, but he decided that he'd now write it for a younger actor. And when I, when we say younger actor, he apparently means just younger than him. So he's gone for Robert Downey Jr. Who I looked it up. He was 40 in 2005, so this 
was probably later than 2005, but we'll give it the benefit of the doubt and say it's 2005. He was 40, so that's older than Edgar Allan Poe was when he died. So, take that as you will. Um, but Robert Downey Jr. said it was a great script, but I mean, he didn't say anything else really. He just said it was a great script. And I think it was one of those things that's like it'd been approached and then like, he was like, oh yeah, it looks good, but it's not going to get made sort of thing. Uh Stallone said, said he wrote it for Robert Downey Jr. So it need so we'd need to have someone like him in it. He said he could maybe retool it for Johnny Depp. Uh, looked looked it up. Johnny Depp was also forty one in two thousand and five, also older than uh, than Edgar Allan Poe when he died. So, but so there some interesting actors. I mean, they're big names. Um, maybe would have worked. But since two thousand and five, uh, it hasn't been made. Um, there has been a, there has been a few films based on Edgar Allan Poe's work, though. Uh, one, uh, probably the biggest one is The Raven. Um, I looked it up. That made thirty million dollars off of a twenty-six million dollar budget, so it lost some money. Uh, it's got a six point four on IMDb, but only twenty-two percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so it didn't do great. Um, that one didn't have any big names attached to it, though. Um, it's a bit harsh to people that are in that film but there isn't any huge stars in it um there was also uh twixt by francis ford coppola we talked about him a few weeks ago with his megalopolis um that sounds like a weird thing doesn't it with his megalopolis um but that film had a had edgar Allan poe the poet as a character um but that didn't do very well either to be fair that didn't have uh, a big release it was only a limited release um and again no big names um not of now anyway um but that film did absolutely terribly it made one million dollars off of a seven million dollar budget so that lost i mean in terms of relatively for that film it lost a lot of money i mean relatively to like a I don't know whatever else it didn't lose as much money um Probably relative to uh, the Raven, it didn't lose as much money, but um, it did worse in terms of uh, what people thought of it. It got four point eight on IMDb, which is no good. Uh, but it did get twenty nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which again is also no good, but it's slightly better than the Raven. Um, so from that, we can take we can take a a lesson. Uh, the Edgar Allan Poe adaptations are doing great um, at the moment. Um, they're not very popular, but as I have been saying again and again and again, um, there were no big names in those. Uh, if you had a big name like a Robert Downey Jr. in something, it could do well. I mean, we're not going to talk about Doolittle, but um, let's say it, the film was good. Uh, the fact that Robert Downey Jr. and Sylvester Stallone is directing it, would be interesting i mean th- he directed uh the expendables i think which was no good but he also directed creed i think he has directed stuff that's been good i think um but like i say i mean it's not looking good but he still does want to make it um in fact there was an instagram post that he put up in 2019 which had a video of him with like loads of scripts like rewrites that he's done uh that date back all the way to the 1970s like i mentioned um and basically he said uh it's a never-ending journey and i would hate myself if i didn't continue at least didn't continue it at least to the best of my ability and try to see it actually come to fruition to be able to go out there and say i accomplished it it may have taken 45 years or 50 years but it's done uh anyway that's what i'm working on it's been one of my greatest challenges of my life. Um, so you can tell that he's passionate about it. He wants to get it made and he's still working on it like 45, 50 years later. So I mean, well, 40 years later. So I, for his sake, I do want him to get this out um, just for his sake, for his sanity. Um, so it could be interesting. It could be an absolute pile of crap. But uh, I feel that if he, if he keeps the budgets more, you get a fairly big name in it um, for some, like you managed to get them in it for some reason. Um, 
then you could do you could do something with it. So good luck to him. Moving on to the last part of the show. Uh, this is quick fic, uh, where I take a one of twenty film characters and I put them in one of twenty film franchises, and I try to make either a prequel, sequel, spin-off, or a reboot. Um, so uh, past ones ones that we've had in the past are Predator in Star Trek, Buzz Lightyear in Indiana Jones, uh, John Wick in the Matrix. But we will see what we get this week. So first off. Um, we'll see what type of film we're making. We're making a sequel. This is fun. We've never had a sequel. Uh, let's see what character we're dealing with. We're dealing with Shrek. So we're going to put Shrek in Back to the Future. Putting Shrek in Back to the Future. And we're making a sequel. So we're making a sequel to Back to the Future with Shrek in it. Oh my days. Um, well, Back to the Future is quite a nice thing to actually be able to put characters in because you can go all the way to the future or you can go all the way to the past. And I would say the Shrek universe or Shrek in himself is set in the past. So you could go all the way to the past and you could find out that actually fairy tale stuff is well not fairy tale stuff but you could say that some stuff of legend is true so you could find out that ogres are real um so and you get i don't know ah, obviously he's got to be in scotland because he's got a scottish accent so they've gone back to scotland for some reason there'll be a michael j fox character from back back in, oh no 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 they had um, in Back to the Future 3, uh, Michael J. Fox's past self in that time. Because in, in Back to the Future 3, they're in the Wild West, right? And the Marty McFly of that era is from Ireland. So why don't they go back to Ireland? Maybe something to do with that character and they have to go back to Ireland and deal with what was it, Seamus or something, and Shrek is one, I don't know, maybe he has to protect him from Shrek or something, I don't know, how did you put Shrek in there? Maybe some uh, Irish folklore thing, because uh, you've, you've got the other Wild West stuff, so you have Irish folk, folklore, and then you're like, oh my god, actually, ogres are real, uh, maybe you put a fairy in there, I don't know, you can do it if you wanted to, something like that, um, and then you obviously have a Biff character, um, an Irish Biff character. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. R- Riff, uh, or something. Um, and I think that'd be fun. I think you've got a maybe some sort of things been meddling with time. Maybe they've put. Um, maybe they've taken a future. Oh, maybe they've. Maybe someone's got. Maybe a a Biff from the future has created a monster and he wants to send it back into the past before all of this happened to take out the McFly dynasty. And so they take it back to... uh, So old Biff goes... uh, The old Biff, maybe the Trump Biff from Back to the Future 2 uh, manages... I can't remember how that ends. But maybe he manages to somehow uh, have this creature created and then they send it back and it's basically a Shrek. And then they send Shrek back into uh, to that Irish settlement before the Wild West ones and then to destroy the McFly. I was going to say clan, but that, yeah, sure, clan, why not? Is that not is that Scottish more than Irish? I don't know. They're Celtic. Um so I was gonna say it's all the same. It's not all the same. It's not all the same. But they go back. And then so Marty and Doc have to Doc Brown have to go back and with the DeLorean to to that time period because uh they're being wiped out. Yes! We've done it. That's the one. I like it. Either that or you just have the ogres are real. But I feel that that's less fun. 
and it ties in less because I feel like that's almost you can almost continue that and it can almost be a part four um but you'd have to have uh maybe it's just a doc brown thing maybe that's why he maybe this is a doc brown film because marty he goes back to visit marty but marty's not there because the marty mcfly clan has been wiped out and so he uses his time traveling train to go with his family to the to island to save the marty mcfly clan that's what it is that's what it is that's how it that's how it starts yes love it um i'd say that uh right uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, if you would like to contribute uh, your ideas to how you can get Shrek in Back to the Future, how you can make a Back to the Future Part 4 with Shrek, uh, it's not going to get better than that. Just putting it out there. I'm, I'm, if you want that, uh, whoever, whoever produces it, uh, Universal. Is it Universal? Paramount? I don't know. Who cares? If you want it, take it. Do it. I'd love it. Um, yeah, if you have any ideas that are better than that, um, feel free to... Or even if you, they're not better than that, uh, which they're not, uh, feel free to message them uh, and send me them at Twitter. I don't know why I forgot what I was saying then. At Twitter, at AllOutWalker. Uh, or you can email at fillmeuppod at outlook.com. That applies for if you want to talk about any of the films that uh, we watched this week, if you watched them along as well and you thought they were good or rubbish, uh, please let me know. Um I will be putting up the films for next week's set, which will be set E uh, on Monday, because I will decide then what I'm watching. Um, so if you would like to watch along, then you will be able to see what films I'm watching then. Um, but if not, uh, it's all good too. And I will hopefully see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.